Welcome to another episode of Footnotes. Today, we're talking to Mayor Daniel Rickman of the city of Columbia. And of course, we talk about all things Columbia. We talk about what it's like to be the mayor. We talk about what he's seen and heard in all of his travels. But we also talk about having conversations and moving the ball forward. I learned a ton in this episode, and I've lived here for a long time. And I think you will too. Next on Footnotes. Well, today we're here with Mayor Daniel Rickman, the city of Columbia. Um, thanks for joining us here on Footnotes. Um, and Mayor Rickman, you were uh, elected, uh, I believe, in November of 21. So you're a little more than a year in. Um, and I think a lot of people, when they think about the, the mayor, you know, they see you cutting ribbons. You know, of course, you preside over council meetings and things like that. But what else does a mayor do in a city like ours besides all all the, the the super visible stuff? Yeah, you know it's interesting because you know with a with a council manager form of government, a lot of people think you know the mayor it's just a part time. It's like council, but really everything. I'm in the office every day. I'm in the community every day. I mean, we really always equate it to like being a chef of a kitchen. You got to be able to do everything. Mm-hmm. But the, you know, I thought after being on council several times that, you know, oh, this is, you know, just slide into this role. Well, it's really not that easy. I mean, there's so much going on and everything comes. I meet probably, I probably have eight, 10 meetings a day, let alone all the events that we go to. And we try to get involved as much, but you're also being asked your opinion, your decision on things that are moving forward, uh, asking to join different partnerships or or line up for funding. So you know you're at the state house, you're at the you're at Washington D.C. lobbying, you're working with associations, you're trying to help affordable housing, deal with the homeless, be you know be the go between on negotiations, sure. you know, with with different groups and neighborhoods, let alone internally. It was 17 different departments. So engaging is uh, is part of it, but it's it's an all day, every day job. How do you know which things to focus on? I mean, I mean, how do you how do you set priorities, not only sort of for yourself, but I mean, in the role as mayor? Like, how does that happen? You know, a lot of it. We we've been trying to do retreats every year prior to our budget, and so we sit down a list of, of priorities. So I want to build everything around that focus. You know, there are a lot of things we'd love to do, but let's 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 get these completed. Mm-hmm. But we made a pledge um, 16 months ago to really focus on the city itself, investing in in our employees, investing in technology, investing in training, and doing the things that will improve customer service, because that's what we're in. We're in the customer service business. But also being able to identify our problems and say, all right, we've got this problem, and this is what we're going to do to move forward. I think for a long time, especially local government, Everybody's always on the defensive. It's like, you know, they got this this ostrich mentality. I'm going to bury my head and it's going to go away. And I'm like, let's just address it. So part part of our priority and, and we focus in is the way, the way we're doing it, is it really the best way? Have we thought about doing it this way? Have we problem solved different and allowing our employees actually have autonomy to make decisions? Mm-hmm. And we're seeing all these great ideas come out, how to be more effective, more efficient, but also look at some of the things that we think work that actually cause more problems than to do so. So it's it's, it's kind of interesting, but we stay around those core and then start to build from there. Mm-hmm. So we got some central themes and then we build off that. Well, how does that lead up to that? And, you know, if it's not in there, let's let's not go there yet. Let's, let's finish these top priorities, then we'll move to the next. Which of those central themes kind of captures your your um, mind the most right now? 
think for us, it, well, the first thing was just changing the attitude. You know, I mean, we're Columbia, South Carolina. We're not Greenville. We're not Charleston. Let's quit comparing, you know, yes, their attributes of those cities that we want. But we're Columbia. We're the capital city. Mm-hmm. You know, let's be the capital city. We have the ability, the opportunity. This is the land of opportunity here. So focusing on that. And then from there, it's, you know, clean and safe are the things that people are very concerned about, mm-hmm. you know. and But we're in a world today where we're having to think creatively just to recruit. People don't want to be police officers. They don't want to be a fireman. It's not like it used to be where you had generations of people going there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, 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 it's an interesting battle. We're having to do things like send baskets and put up billboards in other communities to attract people. Because right now, we're just playing, you know, we're robbing Peter to pay Paul. It doesn't help Jay Coon if I get somebody from Lexington County or Sheriff Lott. Mm-hmm doesn't help Forest Acres if I'm getting a police officer from there because we're just sending them back and forth. We got to recruit differently and get folks engaged. And, um, you know, that's probably our biggest priority. But also, how do we supplement it? Let's be creative. Is there more technology opportunities that we could use that could help us take some relief? I mean, we're looking at even hiring private security to help us with some of the more challenging issues like homelessness. I mean, unlike the sheriff or other we have to do accidents. We have to do the the homeless. We have to deal with all these things that are taxing and let alone be able to patrol and take care of our community. So how do we take things that work? You know, the legislature, for example, the, all the cameras that we have all over the place, they don't want us to have red light cameras and speed cameras. Right. They think it's an invasion of privacy. I'm like, there's a camera on every corner. Your business, you're, I've told one of the law, uh, legislators as a lawyer, I'm like, I went by your office. You got 20 cameras around your office, but you don't want something that could A, prevent an accident. B, that's an hour and a half that officer doesn't have to spend there. He could be doing something else. And let alone speed cameras. Think about if we had them in school zones and neighborhoods where we wouldn't have to s- deploy, where we could focus on on other crimes and other things that, that would benefit our community, but utilizing technology that's in our door doorstep. It's just like dealing with the food deserts, yeah. you know. Hey, we got food delivery services, so why don't we figure out how do we how do we get that to the folks who need it the most, so that we we're not chasing trying to build a grocery store where nobody's going to come, but at least we can get groceries to those folks. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you've been in municipal government for I mean a number of years in in a couple of different different roles, and you mentioned earlier about you know looking for new methods and even technology to help supplement some of these basic services that cities are expected to, to provide. Based on what you've seen, why why does it seem that government just lags so much in maybe use of technology or, or even the ability to think differently or even empower the people who are closest to those problems to solve those problems? It seems like the private sector sort of almost instinctively does that. Why, why does government lag? favorite line is that's the, that's the way we do it you know i mean that that that's the typical answer you get or it's no because somebody's afraid to do something nobody's ever given the autonomy to folks to to make decisions or stand up like i went and met with all of our hourly workers a year ago i'm getting ready to do it again nobody's ever done that 
I mean, one of the guys been there 40 years said nobody's ever come down and sat with us. So you're talking about water, pan. sanitation. Oh, I mean, I'm talking about guys. solid waste, yeah. wastewater guys. The guys that are out there at two in the morning fixing a water line. But hearing from them, you know, you first thing you say, oh, they're going to talk about money. They're going to talk about insurance. Well, yeah, they talk about that, but they're not in the top five. They're talking about ways to make their job more efficient. Talking about one guy showed me the the vehicle he was in with peeling paint. He goes, this is this is the way you value my job. Hmm. Well, you start to think about that. Well, the little things make a big difference to put pride in there. But also listening to, hey, did you know that y'all require this certification for this job? We lost three great candidates who had experiences because they didn't have a degree, but they've been in that business for over five mm. years. Mm. They got real life experience. Mm. Those are the type of things that make a difference. It's just like, you know, go, going to the zoning office where a guy say, well, I, I, this happens all the time. I'm like, well, why didn't you tell somebody above you to pass on to city council, hey, y'all need to fix this ordinance. You're actually causing more problems than you're solving. We ought to be able to make an on-the-spot decision on that. So I could go to the site and make that determination right then and there instead of it trying to put a square peg in a round hole because you have this universal ordinance. Never felt empowered to do that. Wow. Never felt that somebody said, hey, and I think that's, that's in general government. I think that's it. And so now we have sessions of, all right, well, what do you think about this? You know, have you thought about doing it this way? What do y'all think? You know, how, how can we do this? And giving them the autonomy, that means every idea is going to work. Sure. But having that conversation, and I think that's where, because the only way you have a great city is you build it from the bottom up. It's not from the top down. You got to build it from the bottom up. So you got to have everybody on board as we go up the chain. And I think that's what we're seeing now. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting you put it that way about building it from from the from the bottom up because I think I think there is a lot of people that will be listening to this think it, it actually happens you know sort of from the outside. Like if we only had, and they think about some amenity, or if we only had some you know um, retail establishment that sells laptops and iPods and things like that, you know. Um, or if we only had, you know, this this park, then it would be better. But it sounds like you're you're challenging that. Well, I think it's a combination of both. Yes, you always want to go that. But think about if we have the cleanest streets, best repair, the best customer service, garbage. So what is that? It's quality of life issues. Those are the things that affect everybody. Mm -hmm. Well, people are going to look at that. You know, I mean, we fight about gateways. Seventy-two percent of all the roads in Columbia are owned by the state. All right. Out of, that's we have nine hundred two, no four hundred ninety two miles worth of roads. Wow! And I'm up at State House fighting for money just to repair the roads. Mm. You know, we did a pilot project that the county and the city put in money with DOT to clean up some of the gateways. First thing people saw and they they commented on, I'm like, well, why can't we do this otherwise? All the money goes to the highways, but it's money that should be going to our roads as well. Mm. You know, how do we change that pattern? Could we control that maintenance money? Or could you give us $5 million a year and let our guys run a patch program so that we're keeping up? It's just like sidewalks. It's, it's like this constant game. But those are the things, if you have a clean, safe city, everything else happens. Hmm. Now, obviously, you know, as you know, in our community, our other big challenge is our taxes. And so we've got to work on that um, so that we can be more competitive. But I think people can overgo things if you have that clean and safe reputation. And, and I think that's our, our number one goal.
Yeah. Yes, again, it's interesting that you that you put it that way. And and I think, you know, something that's unique here in South Carolina is that a lot of things are even at a municipal level are sort of determined at the state house level, you know, and it kind of filters filters down to the cities for to figure out. Um kind of along those lines, I think, you know, when people think about politics, I mean, most people have a, you know, sort of a bad taste in their mouth for any level of politics. And I think, you know, we see at the national level, you know, with Congress, there seems to be just eternal gridlock and partisanship and all that stuff. And then, you know, you take it down to the state level and a lot of that is kind of infiltrated almost every, I mean, pick a state, they've got the same, the same issues. But then you've got where people live and people live in cities. They're surrounded by state borders and things like that. But what are you seeing at the at the local level, the municipal level? Um, and let's use the word maybe slack. You feel like you're having to pick up at the municipal level. What? How has that changed over your years? Because you, you've had a pretty long view of municipal government, but we've looked at the national and the state levels of how they've changed dramatically over, say, the last ten years. What's that doing to cities? Well, it's kind, of, it's kind of interesting. You know, we knocked on 28,000 doors when we ran uh, our campaign. And what we heard, we didn't hear one person talking about national issues. Mm-hmm. They're talking about front porch issues. You know, they're worried about crime. They're worried about jobs with opportunities. They were worried about everything that's localized. I mean, it was like nobody even existed outside. The, and it was kind of interesting because mm-hmm. what it made us understand is that we got to focus locally. And I think what we're seeing now and what it is, is just engagement. We we got people believing we can be the number one city in South Carolina. We have folks engaged, our business community, our arts community, the nonprofits, everybody's coming to the table. It's like suddenly somebody turned on the light bulb and said, it's okay to, to be an individual. It's okay to have ideas. It's okay to be engaged. People are listening. Let's make it, let's jointly work together. And I think if you look at the success of Greenville and other cities, it's because the business community and the community as a whole came together and said, you know what, we're going to make this happen. That's all localized. And I think that's the difference. You know, it's, it's, it's like the state house. You know, we get money appropriated for things we didn't even ask for. You know, I'm like, this is what I need to make my community better. And I get, seven million dollars for something we didn't even ask for right. that's not helping me move the needle um so it's interesting to to put it for in the perspective but i i believe it's 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 all front porch and, and getting the people engaged and i think that's that's the biggest difference is people were really concerned about the thing that's most important to them their home and their business mm-hmm. number one you, you, you talk about the business community, and I know you've, you've been a member, of the, you are a bit member of the business community. Um, what is so special about the business community in terms of progress and moving things forward at a, at a municipal level? Well, you need them engaged. You know, they, they are your champions to help get things done. They also bring resources to the table. But here in Columbia, for a long time, everybody's like, well, it's a university town, it's a government town, we're filled with nonprofits. Well, when you project that, then people aren't interested here. But how about take that away and say 90% of our businesses, really 92% of all of our businesses are small businesses that have opportunities to grow. It's a great opportunity. We're not just, we may be landmass, have a lot of nonprofit, but if you look at our individual businesses, they're strong. You've got um, the business community engaging 
now and should be more engaged in helping us recruit. You know, if you look at the the leaders in South Carolina over the years, there were there were there were folks that were pushing in and going, all right, we need these gaps filled. This is how we're gonna grow. So Columbia, South Carolina, we're not gonna be a manufacturing community. Blythewoods it was Scout Motors, fantastic, excited about it. But we need urban development. Hmm. So, you know, all right, guys, well, let's recruit together. If I'm first citizens and I'm the banking, well, is there a banking technology company that we ought to be here that could fill a gap for you guys? We're an insurance hub now. So where where the different insurance companies? Hey, if you if you're providing all those services from everybody from Mutual of Omaha to Blue Cross Blue Shield, well, let's bring more of those guys here. I don't care if it's their cyber, their back office, whatever. That engage. We got a Crown University here, right? The business school, three decades of international business program. Not one person's ever gone through that alumni directory and said. Hey, you're in a C-suite now. You remember your great times in Columbia? Help us bring one of your divisions. That's the kind of stuff that we're doing now that wasn't done before, but that's where the business community help. Because when you show up with business leaders and community folks and you go to a business and say, we want you here, that's a different message than us, some some site recruiter, you know, scouting right. around. Right. And we got to tell our story. We got to sell. and But the business community has got to be a part of that. So do our neighborhoods because quality of life is such a bigger play today than it ever has been. And that's what these these employers are looking for. So they play a, they play a, a, a major role in everything from, from our arts community to recruitment to quality of life, you know, to investment downtown. We have a huge need right now for a Class A office space. But we need folks to invest in that. So what do we do with the B and C? That's where we got to step in and say, all right, well, let's figure out how do we convert that so we get more people living downtown. Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> it is definitely multifaceted, and it's interesting to hear you talk about the the different facets. I'm also curious. So you know, you're you're one person, um, and you, you were elected, and as as you alluded to earlier, you know, a lot of times the ideas are out there. You know, they're, they're not necessarily confined in one person or even in a small group of people. What are, where do you learn? You know, where, where do you go to get those ideas? Maybe, maybe yeah, you, you mentioned city staff and you're, you're having dialogue with them to find out kind of nuts and bolts things in their job. But I'm, just out of curiosity, I mean, you're, you're the mayor of a capital city. I mean, where do you go? What what sources do you go to? People, you know, I'll leave it open to you how you want to answer it, but but where do you pick up the ideas and the new stuff? Multiple sources. I mean, I, I read a lot, you know, uh, I try to see what's going on. But, you know, what's been great about being a mayor and being part of the U.S. Conference of Mayors and other mayor association is is sharing ideas. I get more about going to that conference, meeting with people mm-hmm. than I do from the conference itself. But it's great. Like the mayor of Denver, uh, I was talking to Mayor Hancock. I was like, yeah, we, you know, constantly trying to deal with neighborhoods and, and traffic. He said, we just spent $100,000 doing the study with all, it shows all these great innovative ways, everything from art, asphalt, this and that. He goes, I'll have my folks send it to you. There's no reason for you to do it yourself. Guarantee is you can pick ideas out of it. That's the kind of things that help us because you got 
sitting in the mayor's seat is different. So you got a different perspective, but you have all these different avenues where these other mayors, they've done things, they've trialed, just like the mayor of Austin was telling me, they just built three new municipal buildings, did it all with a, on a capital lease with a private developer. They saved 20%, got brand new. And I was like, well, how did how did y'all structure? He said, we did a capital lease because we sat there and figured we'll save 20% just because we didn't have to procure every part of it. And he said, we got what we wanted and, and we're able to pay over a period of time. And then the lease, we get it. So it's a win-win for our community in today's environment. I think meeting with people constantly, you know, listening to ideas from from not only community members, business community, you know, having dialogue, sitting around the table. You know, we used to have at city council until 2017, when I came back, they would have work sessions at, at the podium. You know, you're sitting up there, you can't have a conversation. We need to sit around a table like this and share ideas. I think more happens with that, but people buy into that, you know? So you get people and community members to talk to us. So it's a lot of conversations and listening to different ideas and picking pieces, how do we put it together, but also using the universe that's out there. You know, you got business leaders who have been in other communities that have seen things. You've got, you know, like I said, the the mayors and those connections, you know, and their staff people love it. Like we were talking about removing all the parking requirements. And, you know, we had people in town going crazy. Oh my God, you're going to destroy the neighborhoods. You know, you know, all these corridors going to be filled. Well, the best city to take advantage of was the, the one who's done it the longest, which was Fayetteville, Arkansas, university town, this, that. So we, we called the planning director and he shared all this information with us. And he was like, he's like, look, he said, our neighborhoods fought us. He said, we even had one neighborhood where we, we these border neighborhoods, we took 150 spaces off and made them residential only. He said, within two years, we would put them back to public spaces because nobody used them. There was not this onslaught. It was a nice, steady growth. But he said, we got rid of parking lots and we got buildings. We got upgraded stormwater systems. We got LEED certified buildings. We got all these things that happened because we took away the barriers for somebody to go there and make an investment. Now we got people, more people living downtown. We got more restaurants, we got more retail. So, I mean, you know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel, but we can also learn a lot from these different communities. And, you know, the internet's a wonderful thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, like you said, I mean, the, the ideas are out there and I think it's encouraging to hear you talk about the conversations, you know, that you've got to, you know, you can use the internet for a lot of research. You can do all your drive-bys. You, you can maybe get ideas, but to um, what I'm hearing, I think what I'm hearing you say is to flesh out the ideas and try to get them workable. There, there's no replacement for interaction. Absolutely, 100%. And the more engaging we can, you know, I haven't done a state of the city or anything yet, but for one, the first year I was just there two weeks, I was like, I'm not gonna do it. And this year I was like, you know what? I think what we're gonna do is later in the year, do town halls in all the districts. You know, go to each one and have couch conversations. Talk to people, what's working, what's not working? What do you see? What do you want for the future? What do we gotta do to take all these empty lots in your neighborhood and put more housing in it? You know, how do we deal with affordable housing? You know, we all have to work as a community. Everybody wants single family only in their neighborhood. But right. the reality is we got to have quadruplexes, duplexes. We got 16,500 and something units that are needed in the next decade here. Yes, wow. we can do some of it downtown. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we need to high rise. You know, it was interesting. I had somebody last night say, you know, don't allow any more tall buildings. You can't, you're going to block our beautiful river. Well, you can't see the river from anywhere. You know, I mean, you can barely see the river when you're at the river. You know, I mean, we're, but, but let's do things to enhance our, our access to the river. Yeah. But let's encourage more people to live downtown. Let's get more people here so we have more things. You know, this community gets 15 million visitors a year. Hmm. Only 5 million spend the night. So think about if we could up that number, what that would do for our economy, what that would do for more restaurants, retail, more experiences, more entertainment. It enhances. We become a pretty good tourist. I mean, Myrtle Beach gets 22 million visitors a year. Wow. So you start to look at that and you go, really? That many people? But we're in the crossroads. You know, we're in the crosses. Think about if we had more concerts, more events. We had more access to the river where people could enjoy those class two rapids, more of the fishing and stuff that goes on there. I mean, it's probably got some of the best fly fishing for striper and trout from the Saluda up. Where are we getting ready to open that all up where yeah. we have access? The echo tourism to come, let alone the civil rights tourism that, that could be here. Columbia played such an intricate role. I learned something every day in history. And it's not just when Sherman came and burned down Columbia. I mean, it's just, there's so much that happened here before it happened somewhere else. I mean, Miss Fleming, who who went against SC&G about sitting on the bus, was was the cornerstone for Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks get all the credit, but Miss Fleming, right here, and her, she worked for an attorney in town whose family, I mean, he's still living and remembers as a kid her work in his house, but telling that oral story. But that's history that happened here first. Mm. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, and that's also interesting to that 15 million people a year visit the Columbia area versus Myrtle Beach, which people just naturally associate with as a, as a leisure destination, gets 22 million. That That's not a big difference given, you know, what's attracting people here versus what's attracting people people there. You know, and I and I agree with you that as a hub of government, as having you know what is it, maybe eight total universities, um, and the the way that the interstates sort of the confluence and being centralized in our state, um, there's already a lot of people coming here. We're getting a lot of eyeballs and a lot of visits from people that we probably have no clue are visiting here, who are looking at our community. You are looking at this. But things. keeping them here. You know, one of the things that we did, we, we created this intercollegiate council of engagement. So I have members from every college and university in this town meet with me once a month. And it started off with is why why are y'all leaving? You know? Well, we found out there there's no young professional housing options that folks are looking to live just like they're living in these luxury students. They, they want the similar thing. They want to be downtown. They want to be in the center. They're not interested in driving. They want to walk to work, walk to entertainment, walk to their services. They didn't feel engaged in our community. They felt outsiders. That every time you know they lined up at a bar, there's a picture in the state paper or WIS or somewhere else, but yet, we allow everybody to line up at Soda City, you know, and they're like, look, we're 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 a major economic development. But we also didn't know about all the internships. Like they don't even know what happens on each other's campus. So right. part of our and you know, we got sixty thousand plus students in this community. 
So you start looking at that. That's our future workforce. Mm-hmm. That, that these are folks that are consumers. They're engagers. Uh, so why don't we get, so we started to get them. That's why we did an Apple Store campaign is to get the kids involved and help recruiting so they're invested. I took them to meet with the Midlands Business Leadership Group so they could have an honest, open conversation and say, we didn't even know most of you businesses existed. We didn't know you had internships. You know, getting them to cross-pollinate so that the kids at Benedict and the kids at USC are are converging in our town and being engaged, not just sticking in their six-block bubble. Mm-hmm. University gave 2,000 tickets this year to all the other schools for their the concert they had for their kids for um, the, the homecoming. So it was a great opportunity for, for kids to mix. We did a, a, a college side hustle. We did a block at Soda City that we paid for to allow them to come and sell a way to get them engaged with each other more. And, and uh, a lot of it's communication and engagement. I've probably been at Benedict more since I've been elected mayor than I did 12 years of being on council. Mm-hmm. Dr. Artis engaging, bringing people in, getting her kids exposed to all this. One of the students on my council, she's from Las Vegas, Nevada at Benedict. She's a junior in criminal justice, wants to go to law school. Guess where she's going to go? Here. She has found a place. But think about if we can can keep those. Those are our future entrepreneurs. These are filling. That's a selling point we've never used. It's one of those assets that I talk about a lot that we didn't use. I tell people I take those 60,000 college kids over the ocean any day of the week because they're assets. Yeah. Well, I think that's an interesting perspective. I mean, in, in you, you, you're the mayor in this city. And what I'm hearing you say is we've got to use the, the attributes and the assets in this city to make this city better, as opposed to let's pull in something that we don't have. Let, let's go and, 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 and you know, we can't change our top, topography or our geography, you know, to your point about mountains or oceans, you know, but we do have these rivers. Um, since we're talking about rivers, I mean, what, what I've lived here, I, I got moved here my first job in, in 99. So, so I didn't go to school here. I don't have family here at the time. I didn't, um, you know, I, I didn't really have a choice still here um, and built my business here, but the rivers, what is the key to unlocking those to be something that we can enjoy with more than just a walkway? You know, it's, it's interesting as a lot of people say, oh, we got to re- develop the riverfront. We got to, well, there's only a few places you actually can develop the riverfront. You know, unfortunately, you know, West Columbia and everything else has the bluff. We got the low side. Yeah. So we can't get as close to the river as we all would like to. But there are peaks and places that we can invest in, but also opening up the opportunity, you know. Right now we're limited, you know, we got a great river walkway, but it ends right up at the zoo. Well, now we just did a deal with Dominion that for the next hundred years, we leased 300 acres for a dollar. Now we can go all the way up past into the Saluto 20. The Mungo Foundation has now secured uh, rights. So you will be before long be able to go from the dam all the way down. We're going to add some uh, mountain bike trails through there, some more walking trails, put some pocket parks, like like even a hammock park where you can go build in some places where we can have food trucks go in so you can create some different places Mm -hmm. to create that. But then you got the block like the William Street extension that's been talked about for as long as I've been around. 
we finally sat down and, and we got an agreement with the Ginyard family. We, we've got a deal and we're making that happen. But it was, everybody kept waiting for more money. I'm like, we got enough money to build the road. You got to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. And if you don't even have an agreement, why are we spending all this time? Now, so we see that as potential opening up for living, working, and everything else down there, which eventually give us another park, another attraction. But the other part about the river is, is there's not a lot of access. So if we can create more access than those few pods and pockets of places that we have, we can get some development going. Like the city owns a piece, and I don't know if anybody even knew it was there, but it's the old power plant from the prison. It's right there at Jarvis Clapman Bridge. It overlooks the canal and the river. Okay, yeah. Future brewery, future restaurant right there. We're getting it cleaned up. We're going to market it. I've already had five people call about it. But selling that stuff, this this goes back to Columbia. We don't sell Columbia. I was at, I was fortunate to be in a program with Bloomberg and Harvard, and it's it's a forty mayors. Well, I get to stand up and talk about Columbia, and people are like I had no idea about Columbia. Why aren't y'all telling people? <laughs> you know, it, it, it's interesting because because we have to sell our city sometimes to our local folks and mm -hmm. people who come from the outside think it's greatest. I spent a, a day at Soda City. The people who came to my booth, and I'm going to do it once a month because it was fun, there were people who just moved here. We got people here from Europe, from out west, so that no connections to Columbia, South Carolina, no students, no university, nothing. Just basically came to Columbia because about the quality of life, where it's located, how it's centrally located, easy to get places. And I think that's a compliment and a testimony to who we are. Yeah. But if you don't tell anybody, then do you any good. So to that point, I mean, it, it sounds like there are a couple of groups that need to know, but it sounds like people in Colombia need to know. You mentioned that. And then there's there's people that are not in Colombia. How do you, what, what's the message that you give to the home folk and what's the message you give to, to the people that are that are not here yet? One of the things I think we're re-educating people is, is, is when you talk about Colombia, the first thing you shouldn't say is, well, we're two hours from the beach and two hours from the mountains. That's an asset. That's not your leading line. You need to talk about the, the 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 business opportunities, the relationships with our universities and colleges, our students, our proximity to Fort Jackson and the and the military community. And that's six point seven billion dollars of eco economic impact. That's a workforce as well. But talking about our, our, our rivers, I mean, we got minor league sports, we got, you know, college sports, we have all these different things are going on. A community calendar. Somebody told me the other day, they were like, there's, no, there's nothing going on in Columbia. I'm like, okay, go to Experience Columbia, pull up the calendar. Tell me what you see. Go to Soda City Experiences and look on there. There's live music. There's something going on every corner. I mean, there's some weekends I go to 12 events and I can't wow. even get to them all because there's so much going on in our community all the time. And so I think some of it is 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 we got to continue to get that out. Some of it I think is media driven. You know, think about if we had if we had more stories about all the great things that are going on in Columbia instead of the bad things. You know, I know if it leads, it bleeds. You know, that's their whole the way they play or bleeds, it leads. But 
The reality is, is if we were telling all the things that were happening and constantly, you'd change the narrative the way people look at news. So we got a little bit of a, a, a desert when it comes to media. We've got to get more concentration. I mean, think about it. Our home, home state paper doesn't even have a local editor. We don't even have uh, an opinion page that's focused on local issues. I mean, I don't know about you, but I really don't care about Boston, Washington, and L.A. I care about Columbia, South Carolina. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what the general consensus is from people is, is that they're worried about pocketbook issues in their community, not so much about, you know, these national ideas. You know, people want opportunities. That's what they want. And they want to know that we're being good stewards and we're doing everything to make the quality of life. They're worried about their garbage being picked up. They're worried about our parks being in, in great order. That's why you see great investment in parks now, because that's what the people are asking for quality of life issues. They want to improve their neighborhoods. Maybe maybe to wrap things up, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm curious about, and I, and I don't, I want to, I want to try to phrase this question well, because I'm, I'm interested in the answer. And I think other people would be also, but fast forward, it's years from now and you're not the mayor. What does that future Columbia look like in, in a way that you feel like, wow, this is so much better than the way I found it? Like, like describe that sort of ultimate state that Columbia has the ability to be in. What, what would it look like? What would it feel like? What, what's going on? For me, it would be a thriving downtown population, you know, where we have businesses and, and more residents downtown. We've completed our greenway so that you could be here and you could be in the Vista and get on a bike and you could go all the way to the dam, come back, cruise over to Sumter Street and have lunch at Warmouth and then an afternoon coffee and then come back downtown without ever getting in your car. Being able to, to have that connectivity, take advantage of all the na natural, but at the same time having the quality of life where we have the necessities in a downtown area and throughout our community where you really can connect, you feel connected, you know? I mean, and people say, what do you mean by that? I'm like, well, think about it. I mean, Assembly Street's six lanes wide. I mean, there's no connectivity from one side to the other. Even in the interior, you go one block over, you're on Marion Street, it's four lanes. Well, that's why people aren't connected. Think about North Main. If I could pick a place that I think has got so much potential, Elmwood, to River Drive, it's the first step. Where else in America could you go as a small business guy and buy a piece of property and have a business and build up and walk out and point at the state house and still afford it? There ain't many places in right. America you can do that. But once that's picked up, think about people walking, it's connected. Shops, people living in apartments above, uh, above these shops. You know, businesses interacting. We're splintered. Let's. Let's, let's connect. To me, having a connected community that's clean and safe is what, uh, I mean, you know, when you look at downtown Main Street and, and people walking around and the trees and, and the businesses and the light, the energy you feel from that, that's the way every one of our streets should look. That's the place where I want to live. You know, I, I like the way that you describe those things. And I, and I even if, if I could say this, I... Um, and I guess I can because it, it is our show, but I like how you didn't talk about um, a, a retail establishment or you didn't talk about sort of an amenity. I mean, you talked about just connecting a lot of what's already there 
and making what's already there sort of the next version of, of itself. Because I think you're right. There are parts of our of our community that may have been thriving at one time. They're not for a number of reasons, but that doesn't mean they can't get another another turn. And that's what we need to be selling to people. When I'm taking, in, I brought a whole bunch of in, institutional investors down here, and I rode them around, and it took them to North Main. I took them to Five Points. I said, "This is our most iconic neighborhood, and right now we got four vape shops and this and that. We got all these empty." Sh- we need investment here and talking about block by block transformation of what that could do because that becomes a hub in itself, but then it also helps us connect that. So you connect that to Main Street. You know, you connect the Vista to Main Street. Then you take Main Street, connect it down that way, but then you bring in the greenways. We're building back up yep. the, those communities. Two Notch Road, you ride down Two Notch Road and you're like, empty building, empty building. Well, what if we put housing there and start building neighborhood retail? Mm-hmm. You know, you start getting services, you're bringing things to those people, but we're giving people a, a little bit of new, but reviving it. If you look at the successful communities, Nashville's a great example. After the flood of 2010, they had this, it's Just that's when their growth started. But you look what happened is they built up all these neighborhoods and these areas that were in the the downward slump. You know, they went in there and they and they invested in it. Now you got last time I was there is like 24 cranes in the sky. I mean, it's just crazy. They've become a hub. But then you look at Charlotte, South Boulevard, nothing but warehouses, mm-hmm. antique stores. Now you got a thriving community. Lowe's just built a, a tower there. That's where all of their back office, everything's there because people want to live. And it's thriving with restaurants, Jenny's Ice Cream and these places. I mean, the Jenny's Ice Cream there, it's, it's like one of their number one. It's like four or five million dollars a year selling ice cream. That's what we could have. Because when we make it, but we have to also, a mix of some national local working together really help us elevate us because what we have seen in Columbia is people like quality food and they want experiences so let's give it to them that's a great place to end Um, I mean I I hope if we get it half that way I mean I think that a lot of people that live here in Columbia now and who've been here for a while wouldn't wouldn't recognize the place but again in in a positive way Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you. Um, you know, I know a, a smidge about public service and it, it's not easy. Um, the pay is pretty lousy given the amount of time that you're having to put into it. But I appreciate you being out there, not just with your pom-poms, but also with your pad and pencil to, to listen to people and take down take down ideas. Um, that's the kind of stuff that's going to move us forward. Yeah, well, I have to tell you, John, I appreciate you having me here. But, you know, for me, this is like the greatest job ever. And people laugh when they say that. They're like, I said, look, I said, every day we're making progress. And so it's great to get up in the morning, but people are engaging. People want to do things. And I've never, I don't know that I experienced that in the 12 years before being on council. This is the first time that I've seen people really, I mean, believe in their community and want it to improve. And I think we need to harvest that energy and just go forth full speed ahead as fast as we can. Well, again, thank you for that. Thank you for uh, agreeing to be on the show and um, let's keep doing more stuff. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you.